And let me just, uh, before we read this, as a church, um, welcome everyone who's watching online. We are a small church, but active on the east coast of the Ards Peninsula. We look out the door and we can see the Mull of Galloway and the, over the harbour wall, we can see the, the Isle of Man. Uh, uh, and that harbour is the most easterly point in all of the whole island of Ireland. So here we are in this lovely morning, gathering here and reading God's word together. As I say, it's in First or Second Peter chapter 2, and it's just the first 11 verses that we're going to read together. So, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our lord jesus christ so we'll just finish there uh, in fact the last verse and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our lord and savior jesus christ and let's just ask god to bless the reading of his word Father, we thank you for your word that we have it preserved for us. It is the very breath of God. And we pray as we hear and take in your very breath that, Lord, we will be spoken to by your Holy Spirit. And we pray for your word to so speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's see. We are, we'll get this a wee presentation, we'll just get put up. So, the people in the Bible, uh, as you read through them, one of the things that strikes me, and I'm sure it strikes you too, is that these are not superhero, some kind of moral, some kind of faultless giants whose moral and spiritual perfections uh, have them inhabiting in a universe that none of us have any hope to ever inhabit. These are ordinary people. You read the people in the Bible and you can identify with them. There's people in the Bible and you think, well, that's sort of the way I think. That's what I would have done. And, and so they're, they're, God has presented us with a, a, a rich um, tapestry of people who are ordinary and, and human beings. 
I'm glad it's not these super giants. If they were, I think sometimes I would maybe wallow in self-pity and and uh, a sense of defeat and not being able to sort of identify with such super spiritual giants. You, you look at people like Paul and Barnabas. I mean, Paul and Barnabas could have an argument and fall out. I mean, Paul, the apostle, and Barnabas. People like, well, Thomas. Thomas could have his serious doubts. Look at people like John Mark. John Mark went out on a missionary journey, took cold feet, panicked, and ran home to mum. You have people like James and John. I mean, these two were hardly uh, <laughs> the nicest people whenever they wanted in a vindictive rage to, to destroy a, a town and ask Jesus to do so. Now you have people like Peter. People like Peter. Possibly the most human of them all. A man who wore his emotions on his sleeve. And a man who more than once felt himself just to be a failure. And so... As we think of these people like that and many, many others, we see that they share the same emotions and feelings and ups and downs and experiences that we too have. And so we learn so much. And so I want to think about Peter. And I think about this man because the Peter that you read about in the Gospels, it seems to me, you know, the one who's, who's up and down, cold and hot and then hiding and then stumbling and, and, and frustrated and confused at times, and then you read about him in the book of Acts and particularly in the epistles here in First and Second Peter, you find an utter transformation. Now I know whenever we think about the disciples, what certainly was the pivotal point that transformed them completely was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, it would, wouldn't it? If you had seen someone crucified and killed and put to death, and as we were thinking as we broke the bread, how he was pierced, how he, was, how he suffered and how he died, and then to see this same person alive in your room, well, it, it utterly transformed the disciples. But, but I think there was even more than that. And, and as you look at Peter's life, I think there was something else that came after the ascension. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost all those days later, and the Peter we read in the Acts and the Peter we read writing in his epistles of First and Second Peter, is a Peter who just seems utterly transformed. And, and possibly the secret of that is found in these 11 chapters or the verses that we just read. I think they reflect how he was transformed and possibly, just possibly, those words will help transform us. So we have, of course, Peter's confession. Back, if we were to look in Matthew chapter 16, we'd find that when Jesus was asking the disciples, well, who do people say that I am? He says in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I, that the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered. You are the Christ. The son of the living God. Jesus replied. Blessed are you Simon son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man. But my father in heaven. And here. In Peter. I think we get even more unequivocal language. That Peter from his first beginning of understanding that Jesus was not just a very good rabbi, 
He was not just somebody who had a very good connection with God, but he was the son of the living God. There was something unearthly wonderful about him. Yet we read it here in Second Peter, where in verse 1 it says, To those whom, who through the righteousness of God our Saviour, Jesus Christ, God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ, he, he realised who Jesus was. The deity of Christ. And I want to think about that just for a second. But who Jesus was. Because Peter, I think this is what transformed him. That no longer did he see him just as someone who was a, a, a unique rabbi. Or someone who had a distinct connection with God. But someone who himself was actually God in flesh. And we could, we, we could think about that. Some, some people try to sort of say, well, yeah, I'm prepared to take Jesus as a good teacher, as a, as a fine rabbi, but that's a big step to say that he's actually God in flesh. In fact, C.S. Lewis talks about that. He, he made this point, and he wrote this for those who would say that he's just a good teacher. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Now, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would, I, would not be a great moral teacher. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. So said Lewis. And Peter saw that. Peter could see that in Jesus, this person that he had lived at least three lives with, intimately, closely, watching his every word, hearing everything he said, watching how he behaved, how he treated the, the young, the old, the rich, the poor, everybody, how he could, he could examine this life. John talks about the life that appeared. There was something unique about the life of Jesus. And as his relationship with Jesus grew, Yes, he was at times frustrated and confused and, and yet armed with all that he saw and witnessed, he stood firmly on the ground that could say, our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And the Bible reinforces that, that revelation many, many times. Just to give a few, in Isaiah 44, God says, I am the first and last. Apart from me, there is no God. And in reflection of that, Speaking of Jesus, Revelation 1 says, I am the first and last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. John chapter 1, John tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Paul writing to the Colossians reminded them in Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. That's not just a special rabbi. In Isaiah 44, verse 24, it says, God is speaking. He says, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. And those verses, speaking of God being the creator, and Jesus is the creator, only makes sense if God is, in fact, the creator God. 
we remember at Christmas time we read these verses for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting <coughs> father prince of peace the writer of the Hebrews starts off his very first chapter and he says the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word and when Peter was standing after the at the day of Pentecost and preaching where those thousands came to faith he warned them that who had they put to death he said you killed the author of life that's only a term that can be given to God himself. And when the doubter, we mentioned him earlier, Thomas, who doubted, when he saw him, what did he cry out? He said, my Lord and my God. Writing to Titus, Paul called Jesus our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to Matthew, when the angel appeared to Mary, the angel said he is to be called Emmanuel which means God with us. And in 1 John, John wrote, he is the true God and eternal life. And in Philippians, they were told that Jesus, who being in the very nature, God. And in John chapter 5, the Jews went to stone Jesus for what he was saying. And it said, for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God to the Colossians Paul wrote in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form when Philip and the disciples were talking to John in John 14 you remember that lovely time when Jesus says in my father's mansions in my father's house are many mansions Philip said Lord show us the father and that will be enough for us and Jesus answered don't you know me Philip even after I've been with you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Romans, speaking of Jesus, said he is Christ, who is God over all. And 1 Timothy 3.16, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And there are many, many more scriptures that confirm the character and the nature of God was God, who Jesus was. He was God in flesh. And that's important to know for, for Peter when he discovered that, when he knew that he was not just dealing with a wonderful moral teacher, someone who was maybe even close to perfection. He was dealing with God himself. The man, the carpenter who walked with Peter in the dusty paths of Nazareth and Galilee and then sealed with him on the waters of the Sea of Galilee, he was in the presence of the Son of God, the living God himself. And so, in Jesus we have everything we need. That's what Peter said. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, Peter, as I said to you at the start, he's just a human being. He's like you and me, as were all the rest. And he knew what it was to be tried and, and found wanting. And you know it, and I know it, what it's like to live as a Christian and sometimes just get it wrong. Sometimes go through a desert patch 
where you're just not making that connection and your prayers don't seem to go further in your bedroom ceiling. And sometimes there are just those dry periods. And Peter knew that. The disciples knew those. In fact, I honestly believe that the self-assured, confident, bold Christian who lives a series of spiritual victories and who's nothing but triumphs in his Christian life is probably an ephemeral dream. I don't know that such a person truly exists. I was talking to a man just a few nights ago. He's a leader in a church. He works very hard. And if anybody in his church knew him, they would just know him as a great Bible teacher and a great exponent of the word of God and someone who really preaches the word. And he confessed with me. I see maybe he felt he could because I was in a similar position in leadership in church. He says, you know, I just had difficult, difficult times. And I'm going through one at the minute. And you know, maybe sometimes we're not honest with one another sometimes and we maybe put on a face. But you know, the Christian life isn't just a bed of roses. Sometimes it can be a bit of a battle. The arrows of the enemy are seldom shot at those who are cowering in the carpeted palace behind the walls. No, the targets of the arrows of the enemies are those who stand on the ramparts fully armed and face the foe. And quite often those who make that stand are the ones who are wounded. But they're also the ones who see the faces of the enemy in despair and turn and flee when the captain joins them on the wall and assures them that the victor of this battle is not in despair. Peter walked with Jesus and knew the captain and his divine power, he said, had given him everything he needed. As that word says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That that verse has just been resonating in my mind and heart for two weeks. And I, I, could, I would love to tell you how it's just changed directions I've taken in the last couple of weeks and really empowered me in ways that I really needed. And Peter discovered that. He knew he'd tried and failed. You know, you remember whenever he met Jesus and after the resurrection, down at, he'd gone back fishing, you remember? And... Jesus said, Simon Peter, do you love me? And three times he said it. Although he had failed, Jesus never said to him, well, that was some big words you said. Whenever I come into the, the courtyard that night, I heard you cursing me. I think our friendship's over, Peter. You never hear that from the words of Jesus. And you will never hear them either. You will never hear those words. No matter how you feel at times, he will never leave you. He will always love you. He will always empower you. And though you go through maybe a time of difficulty, he's still there. And he'll be there at the other side. And you'll discover he's walked with you through it. Because it's an ongoing battle. Verse 4 says, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by by evil desires. And it's like Peter saying to us, look, look, I know how you guys feel. I know how you feel. I know. 
And I know you've got these evil desires, you've got these temptations, you've got, you feel corrupted at times, you think, what is my mind doing? What, what did I do that for? What did I say that for? Why didn't I speak there? What sort of a question am I? And sometimes, and it's like Peter says, look, I understand that. I was there. I'm that man. I understand it. But let me tell you something you really, really need to grasp. You really need to grasp this. I'm writing this that you get a hold of this. That he has given us his very great and precious promises that through them you may escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You see, Peter also knew that a big problem lies at the heart of our human nature. And the bad news is, I'm sorry about this, I would love to tell you it otherwise, but the bad news is that big problem is your human nature, is the flesh, and the bad news is you're going to have that battle until you die. I I would love to tell you that once you get to the the high, lofty positions of, of, of spiritual maturity, then you know what? Life's just a dream. No, it'll always be a battle, and sometimes more of a battle as you stand more above the rampart. But the good news is that he never leaves us and he will always be with us and the battle's already won. And not only that, but he has promises for us and they're backed up by the word of God. He has promises for us, but we have to take them. I I remember when my father died, he left behind a, a business with a shed absolutely filled with bowls and bowling equipment and blazers and trousers and everything to do with bowlers stuff. It was called Bowler's World. And um, so all this stuff, you know, they left behind. We had to sort it out. It was in a barn that we were paying a monthly rent for. So we had to get out of that. And although we left that for us, um, there was a bit of work to be done, and particularly my sisters and my and brother-in-law John you probably know John and my sisters anyway um, the, um, we brought it over to my place and we just bit, bit by bit we sold it and people came from all over the place they came across the border they came even from Scotland to, to come and buy it and, and in that work that was put into selling this stuff for the couple of weeks and it took a fair bit of work um, the inheritance was realised and shared amongst his children as I'm sure he would have been delighted to know but you know what? We had to do something. And it's like that. Our Father, has, our Heavenly Father has given us power to live. He has given us the ability to make it through each day and to have joy in our Christian life and to have power in our Christian life. But we have something to do about that. We have things we must take up. And so Paul goes on, or Peter goes on, he says, For this, in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to add to, and so he goes on. Do you know, for what very reason? For this very reason. Well, the very reason, if you read just before that, was that you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world. For this very reason. What reason? Well, you're going to have to get a hold of these things if you want to escape the corruption in the world. You're going to have to get a hold of these things if you're really going to live in the divine nature, if you're really going to uh, live with Christ and enjoy being a Christian, and show the world that it's a joyous thing, for this very reason, for those reasons. Because we live in a culture that changes, it, it, it molds you. 
There's not one of us who's not molded by the culture the way you think. And the television, the media, the social media, whatever it is, has a message, a very distinct message, and it is steering our minds. And I'll tell you how the culture works. For example, you go to watch a film, and let's pick one, like The Italian Job. Now, some, some might not know, but it was a, a Michael Caine film, and some robbers decided to rob a bank in Rome, and they do it by the use of wee minis. And they race about all through, and it's a really car, great car chase. And, and in the end, they manage to get this gold bullion, and they take it out, and they're, they've got away with it. And you as a viewer are going, yeah, they got away with it. And they're driving up this mountain pass and a big bus with all the bullion in it. And, of course, they go off the road and the bus is teetering on the edge with a gold bullion at one end and all the thieves at the other end. And if they go to try and get the bullion, the, the bus will go over the edge. And so it's left hanging. But as a viewer, you're hoping they some get the gold. Because the, the director or the producers of the film have so directed the story that you are on the side of the thieves. Hang on a minute. Whoa, some poor wee Italian families have put their monies in banks and the banks are looking after their money and we're on the side of the guys that are stealing it. You know what I mean? So the culture can shape you even without you noticing it. And the, the culture is, tries to shape us. So how do we have our minds turned away from the culture we live in and tuned into the way that God thinks so that our minds are transformed to be thinking like the way God thinks? In fact, Peter wrote earlier in his epistle, he used the example of Lot. Actually, of all people, you might sometimes we give Lot a bad sort of show, but he says this in 1 Peter, and if he rescued Lot, a, right, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day by day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, that he rescued Lot, that is, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. God knows how to rescue godly people from trials. He knows how to support and help us. But we need to want to be rescued from the culture we live in and to have our minds transformed. We need to want to think like God thinks. We, want, we need to want to be like Jesus. When we went to rescue someone a number of years ago in the fire service who had got himself trapped on top of a three-story building on the roof. Now, he'd managed to get there, I don't even know how, but he he'd had a bit much wobbly water, if you know what I mean. He was a little bit under the influence. And he was on the roof, and we were putting the ladder up, and he had no interest in coming off that roof. <laughs> he didn't want us to, he did not want us to, to bring him down off the roof. We've got a lot of language, a lot of shouting, and he moved it. And we were a bit, so, well, what do we do here? Because if I move towards him, he's going to fall off the roof. And if he does, he'll be killed. So we need... We need to know that we need to be rescued from the culture we live in. To have our minds changed, we need to want to be rescued. And so we have links in the chain as we sort of come to a finish. I, I'm not going to get through these, so don't worry. I'm going to stop in a couple of minutes. And um, that's just the way it's going to be, because otherwise I'm going to keep you too long. There are some links in the chain, if there are maybe blocks, if you like, in the wall that, that, that Peter gives us. And talking about, like, take hold of these things. God has given them to you. And you take hold and add to these things. So he says this, For this very reason, in verse 5, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Now, 
The faith is the the foundation stone. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So faith is the foundation. We believe in Jesus Christ. We are saved. We are believers. That's the foundation stone. And, And Peter's saying, that's great. You've got your foundation stone. That We have that. Thomas has that. James has that. Mary has that. We have that. We have faith in Jesus Christ. But... God has given us things that he wants us to build on that. It's the inheritance, if you like, that your father has left you. He wants to build on that. And the first thing is goodness. Well, goodness, you know, in our upside-down world, the virtues are seen as vices, and the vices are seen as virtues. But I think Jesus was modeling his idea of of these virtues on the person he saw them most perfectly lived in, in Jesus. In Jesus, who was good. Not, now, you're, you're good people. You know lots of good people. But you mean good compared to. You know, they're good. You know, we're not, you're not saying you're perfect. You're good people. I'm not saying you're perfect. We all have our faults. And if you look close enough, you'll all find them. But Jesus was incomparably good. There was no sin in him at all. And it was an attractive goodness. It was something about Jesus that drew people. They wanted to come and hear him, to to see what he did, to hear what he said. There was something about his goodness because faith without goodness is like a fire without heat. You know, you love to watch your fire, but you know what? What kind of fire would it have been if it was flickering and doing all its thing and there was not an ounce of heat out of it? No, what makes the fire attractive is the heat that comes from it. And goodness is the heat that comes from faith. Imagine you have a lawnmower stuck in your garage. Lovely, shiny lawnmower. And you take me to see your lawnmower. What a lovely, lovely lawnmower. Yes, you tell me, I polish it every week. Have you ever cut the grass with it? Oh, no, I wouldn't do that. That would dirty it. And outside, I look at your garden, it's just a wilderness. That's faith without goodness. In fact, Ephesians tells us that we were saved unto good works. The reason for our faith is that God has good things for us to do and to also make us good. Now, we'll never be good. I know that. We'll always have our flaws, but, but, but Peter says, look, add to your faith goodness. See what you can do that is good. Behave in a way that is good. And he goes on, and we're going to really... Maybe not get to the end days. And he says, and add to your goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control. You know, Peter's talking about this in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, getting to know him. Peter says, get to know Jesus. I had three years getting to know him. And now I've spent the rest of my life knowing him. And I will die knowing him, looking forward to seeing him again. Let's spend our lives getting to know him. And that means, you know, being familiar with, with scripture verses, being able to hide them in your heart that will affect how you think and how you act and how you behave. And also, yes, you need to have some kind of theological knowledge. You need to know that, you know, what God thinks about sin and, and what he's done about that and how the, there's a sacrifice for sin. And it's, you need to know those things too. But be careful with knowledge, for it's a very feisty little creature. 
and it lives in a cage looking for anybody who'll possibly pass by so it can jump up and down and catch, catch your attention and show you how pretty it is. Knowledge can be... We had a fellow worked and used to call him, in our work, and he used to call him Ike. It wasn't his real name. And I, after a while, he said, why are you calling so-and-so Ike? He said, it stands for I know everything. <laughs> you know, because he just knew, he just had, he just had an opinion and everything, and his opinion was right. And he's a really nice guy, actually. But he just had this unfortunate habit of whenever somebody talked about anything, he knew about it, and he knew about it more than you knew about it. Even if it was your specialism, he knew about it. And it could be a bit annoying. And, and the Bible even warns us of that. Listen, knowledge puffs up, so be careful with it. And so you have to exercise self-control. Sometimes you might know something, and maybe the place to do is just to listen while somebody who doesn't really know just has their say. Be careful with knowledge. Be gentle with it and exercise self-control. And then he says, and add to your, add to your uh, knowledge and self-control perseverance and godliness. You know what? I'm, I'm not going to, I did tell you I would stop. And we'll, I'll, I'll skip. You can look at these at home and think about them yourself. But I just will finish with this. He, he finishes off and says at the very end, to add brotherly affection or mutual affection, if you like, and love. Peter knew what it was to be loved despite who he was. I don't know, as I said earlier on, what he might have expected after having denied Jesus. I know what I might have expected had I seen him again. But that's not what he found, and it's not what we find. And listen, he has brought us into a race. You know, we're reminded to run with perseverance, the race set before us. And in this race, it's a marathon race. But love the people you're running with. It's a cross-country marathon race. It's not a short 100-meter dash. It's not 400 meters. It's not twice around the lap. It's a lifelong race. And in this lifelong race, you will fall. And in this lifelong race, you'll get cut. And sometimes the cuts you will get are, will be from the spikes of the runners running beside you. Still let us love one another. Because he loves us. So on top of all these virtues, put on love. You know, liking somebody, to like somebody is because you like what they do. You like the way they act. Some, you know, likeable people do likeable things. So... Liking somebody is dependent on the object of your like, but when it comes to love, it's not dependent on the object. You know, sometimes we have children who can act a little bit obnoxiously, but we still love them. And the Father still loves us, and we ought to still love one another. Anyway, I'm going to stop there because I would go on. I know. But I pray that God will bless you. Maybe you'll look at First Peter yourself, or Second Peter, and uh, be blessed by it as I was. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for, for characters in the Bible who are so real, flesh and blood, who we can see react in ways we might have reacted, and yet, Lord, you changed and transformed them and made them men and women of God and who became effective and productive in their lives serving you. Lord, we have to confess at times we do feel uh, that we let you down at times, and there are times too, Lord, when maybe we go through little dry patches and Oh, Father, you know who we are and how we struggle against the flesh, the world, and the devil. You know how, Lord, we can be drawn into the culture we live in. You know, Father, all of our weaknesses and failures, and yet, Lord, you still love us. Yet you still love us, and you promised never to leave us and never to forsake us. 
But Father, we pray you would empower us and enable us, Lord, to remember that his divine power has given us everything we need <coughs> for life and godliness. And that, Father, you will always support us in Christ. We pray for this little church, Lord, you'd bless us and help us to support one another, encourage one another, work together in your work, and that we might see folks saved and added to the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. God bless.